0: The War of Gog and Magog, it is a war that was prophesized some 2,500 years ago in the Book of Prophets by Ezekiel, that it would be the war to end all wars, the war at the end of the world. And as we learn in the Wisdom of Kabbalah, we see these things that were written in the Bible, in the Torah, in general, Kabbalistic writings, through a certain language. This language specifically that it was written in, we learn, is the language of roots and branches. And the principle of the roots and branches is that nothing that this book describes is in this corporeal reality, meaning the people are not actual corporeal people. The events are not actual corporeal events. The Uh, the objects and the the places, they're not corporeal objects and places, things that we can perceive with our five senses of sight, smell, touch, hearing and taste, rather they are all inner forces that are taking place in the spiritual reality, in the spiritual worlds, which we learn to research and, and enter into, and a person undertaking these processes in these texts and specifically this one, the War of Gog and Magog, is one who is undergoing this specific, in this case, a war, but an inner war, an inner war between special forces uh, in the spiritual worlds, which we're going to learn about in this session. Moreover, since it does describe the root level of reality, the, the place where the forces extend to our world before they reach the materialization as we see them and know them in our corporeal lives, so these forces that we work with they do become expressed at a branch level, at a consequential level in this world, uh, in certain ways. And we'll also g- talk about that, meaning how are the wars that we see with our eyes connected to these spiritual wars that we read about in such texts as the War of Gog and Magog? We're going to get into that today. And also, how do we fight such an inner war as Gog and Magog? Meaning, it, it, if it's an inner war that we can. Take, that can take place at every single moment and which describes a war taking place of a person who's attaining spirituality so what does it mean to fight that war and moreover what does it mean to win that war or to lose that war i'm going to look into that today as well and finally what are the consequences of fighting or not fighting this war at a s- certain level of a person's development if we engage in it if we don't engage in it how can how does that play out in our reality, how does that play, play out in our corporeal lives as we know them, in our spiritual life. All these things we're going to get in today, we're going to get into looking at this spiritual process, the war of Gog and Magog, and seeing how it connects also to our reality, and especially today when we're seeing certain wars take place all throughout, uh, you could say all throughout our consciousness, but really f- playing out physically right now in a, in a certain part of the world. We're going to see how all that comes together. This is Kabbalah Explained Simply, I'm Marcus, and we'll get into it right after this. Okay, so as I mentioned, the War of Gog and Magog, it's an inner war that takes place in a person who's been granted a special desire, a desire for spirituality. Uh, anyone who's been watching Kabbalah Explained Simply and has been following the teachings of the wisdom of Kabbalah, whether here or at Kabu, so you'd know that the desire for spirituality is the final desire in all of our development. Meaning, we de- we develop through desires for food, sex, family, money, honor, control, knowledge, and then spirituality. And both in terms of an individual's life and also in in the general development of humanity as a whole, the desire for spirituality emerges in the as the final desire, the one that's most connected to being a human in this world, and with that desire, the more we penetrate it and and get into it, the more we find that uh, we need a certain method that connects us to a higher level of reality than our corporeal reality in order to get its fulfillment. So the desire for spirituality is one which is characterized by questions such as what is the meaning of life? Who am I? What is reality? Why is there so much suffering in the world? All kinds of existential questions that we can't find answers for in our corporeal desires, and, and which leaves us wanting and yearning. And in the texts, in the text of the Torah and the Bible, this desire for spirituality is given the name Israel. Meaning Israel, it doesn't refer to a corporeal uh, place or, or a corporeal people. Rather, it refers to specifically this desire, this what they also call, what, what in Kabbalah is also called the point in the heart, that uh, th- this desire is one that is aimed specifically at the purpose of what is a human being for in this world, which is to attain the purpose of creation, which is, according to the wisdom of Kabbalah, to uh, attain adhesion with the Creator. Israel comes from two words, Yashar Kel, Yashar meaning straight, and Kel meaning God, straight to God. That's uh, where this name was given. The, The people who originally formed as the people of Israel around Abraham were formed as the people who all shared this common desire to rise above the corporeal perception of reality and enter the spiritual reality. And each and every person who does so undergoes a certain war uh, with themselves, with the corporeal attitudes to reality that we have, uh, the corporeal desires that we have, with attitudes specifically arising in connections between people, meaning at the human level, uh, such as desires for love and hatred, which are specific to human beings, and connection and disconnection, reception and giving, reception and bestowal all these forces that work at the highest level of our reality, at the inner level of the human being, where if we work with them correctly, we can start working to penetrate, specifically use it through this desire that we're given, through this point in the heart, this desire for spirituality, which starts by asking, which emerges in us as this seed, it's called the seed of the soul, by asking such questions, uh, existential questions about the the essence and purpose of, of reality. And through that, we start penetrating into it, and the war is to, is to raise what's called internality over externality. Internality means penetrating deeper and deeper into that point, through that point into no. discovering the qualities that are at an inner level of reality. One that's beyond our inborn senses, one that we have no perception of at all their forces of, as I said, the the highest forces in reality, forces of love and hatred, one, ones that are pertinent to human beings, and not love and hatred as we know them in this world, but, but at a much higher level, love and hatred, uh, as they're expressed in a, in in a much rawer, much more pure way, which can't really be made tangible just with the words I'm using hi- here, but these forces uh, are rooted in a in that higher level. And the more we penetrate into this point and the more we emphasize the importance of the internality and that inner search and that inner journey over the externality, it means that we're, we're fighting that war and we're waging that war. And in order to do so, we need means, we need a method uh, to do so. Uh, the method is uh, the wisdom of Kabbalah that was given specifically to, uh, as a means for raising internality over externality. And we'll get more into that today as well. And the means as well, well. We'll talk about what what they are as we as we as we head along with this. So that's that's the essence of the war of, of Gog and Magog. That it's a, we're talking about a war of internality versus externality primarily. It's a war as such that can play out at every single moment. Meaning you sitting on your couch there at home or on your chair or whatever can be fighting this war right now. If uh, if you're fighting to uh, raise the importance of Uh, attributes such as love, bestowal, positive connection over attributes of hatred, reception, and involuntarily going with the flow of the dictates of the egoistic desires that surface in us at every single moment, Uh, instead of being under this what's called slavery of the egoistic desires, we have the opportunity to, to penetrate through a little point. It's called, in the wisdom of Kabbalah, uh, like the pin of a needle going through that, that little the tiny desire that we were given that, that questions the purpose behind all this world we perceive, all these desires we have, all the pleasures and, and everything that, that that fill our reality. That this little point that stems from that spiritual world which connects us to the force of love and bestowal, which proceeds and, and, and is beyond the reality as we currently know it, Through that point, by focusing on it, by emphasizing it, by using a method and the means to really hone in on it and grow it, we can penetrate through it and enter that other world, the more internal world, what's called the spiritual world in the wisdom of Kabbalah. And there we start learning how to work with the forces that manage our reality, that that before they materialize into our reality. So I said that's really the, the essence of this war. It's, it's something that we can be engaging in at every moment. Now we're going to get into some uh, excerpts from the texts of Ezekiel. And we're going to use these to look a little bit more uh, into it to get, get some other aspects of, of what's going on here. So let's just move in here. Okay, so this is from the Book of Prophets, Ezekiel thirty eight, fourteen and sixteen. Therefore, prophecy, O son of man, and say to Gog, So said the Lord Gog, uh, so said the Lord God, sorry, surely on that day when my people dwelled securely, you will know, and you will come from your place, from the utmost north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will ascend upon my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the earth. At the end of days it will be, and I shall bring you upon my land in order that the nations recognize me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, Gog. So there's, there's lots of things we can extract from these. We won't start going in and, and analyzing it with a fine-tooth comb, everything that's going on here. But there's, there's some things that, uh, that that can stand out and which w- that we can emphasize by reading some texts. Usually, in the wisdom of Kabbalah, we don't take texts such as these and and study them directly as a as a as a direct source. Usually, we use uh, the filters, you could say, of Kabbalists more current to our era, such as Kabbalist Yehuda Ashlag, who's the most renowned, renowned Kabbalist of the 20th century, who took all kinds of texts, uh, such as these and more recent ones, texts by the Ari, and made them more relevant to our era. Meaning that uh, such texts that we just read now, just a little bit about the language of roots and branches before we move on. So such texts are written in a language which was relevant uh, more specifically to the people uh, who lived at that time. Uh, and people who could penetrate into the spirituality, in, into the spiritual worlds, uh, according to the level of desire that was in humanity's development at that time. Since then, you know, since 2500 years ago when, when the such a text was written, there's been a lot of development in, the in in our desires, we've gone through certain thresholds in our desire, We As you can see, if you look in the world today compared to what was there with all the science and technology, uh, one major aspect of the desire today that was not around at that time is a huge desire for proof, scientific, empiric proof of what we study. And that was a desire that simply wasn't existed back then. We can't even imagine what what it means that a certain desire didn't exist at the time since when we have a desire because it's so... Part of our reality right now that that we that we can't even go back to imagine what it would be like to to have an approach similar to the people who approached such texts at that time, but due to that, that's why more recent Kabbalists such as Kabbalist Isaac Luria, first and foremost, uh, from the 16th century, he developed a new scientific language of Kabbalah through which we don't see the spiritual worlds through all these allegories and and fables which can confuse us, but rather as a specific, precise system of parts of films, firot and worlds, really using scientific terms, scientific kabbalistic terms, uh, to point to exact spiritual, uh, what you could call places and and spiritual objects and, and spiritual phenomena and processes happening. Uh, and to study these texts in a way where either you're in spiritual attainment, where, you can, where you've attained the new sense that they can perceive uh, all these phenomena and work with them in a practical way, or you're not in spiritual attainment yet, but you use such texts to draw the spiritual forces through those texts, what's called uh, drawing the reforming light through the study, where the main purpose of studying the wisdom of Kabbalah, specifically Kabbalistic texts, and more specifically texts such as those of the Ari and later Kabbalist Yehud Ashlag or Baal Asulam, who is the only Kabbalist of the 20th century, by the way, who, who wrote commentaries to works by the Ari and also to the Book of Zohar. So by approaching these texts in, in a certain way, where we aim to not get wiser, not to get knowledge, not to... Uh, simply blindly exercise uh, some faith within us, but rather to draw the forces from the spiritual reality, meaning forces that are those of love, bestowal and connections, forces that define the original force that created everything, so by aiming to draw such forces through the texts that we study and during the study, so those forces come and they work specifically on that point in the heart that we mentioned, the desire for spirituality, that desire called Israel, growing it, nurturing it, the more we engage in them, and, and that's what opens it up and, and grows it to a, to a new sense eventually, which perceives the spiritual phenomena and processes that these texts describe and, and gains us access to them. So such a text as this, we can take things here and there from it. Usually, uh, Kabbalists such as Rabash and Bala Salaam, they, they take maybe a sentence here and there and use it to explain certain phenomena. Such as, if we just take this text now, it says that uh, uh, that the Creator will bring, it says, I shall bring you upon my land. The Creator is speaking here, yeah? I shall bring you upon my land in order that the nations recognize me, when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog." So, you know, such a text might make us think that the Creator uh, is a big egoist that just wants everyone to, to look at Him and to worship Him and, you know, he'd ta- have a whole bunch of wars if you're not going to worship me until you finally you know, switch and, and accept my rule, like uh, similar to, to some dictator or something like that. That's how it might appear on on face value, such such a sentence as that. Uh, But really we're talking about this creator, this upper force of love, bestowal, connection, this force that created and sustains our reality, that it is awakening conflict between two opposing forces in our reality. Uh, Specifically those forces are forces of bestowal and reception. But he awakens uh, conflict between these two forces Ultimately, in order for us to reach a sincere desire for attaining the purpose of our lives, for attaining absolute connection with that original force in an unfettered way, in a way which isn't through all kinds of filters of of money, etc., etc. What am I trying to say? It's that ultimately, what do we all want here? What were we, what we all created for? Even if we just look at our desires at every single moment, there each and every desire that pops up into us, that, that surfaces in us. It's a desire for pleasure, for enjoyment, for fulfillment, for happiness. We're always moving towards some kind of form of pleasure and moving away from p- pain. And that is given to us because in a way where each and every corporeal pleasure that we, that we grab hold of dissipates from the moment we start grabbing hold of it. So all these pleasures in our world that we can picture, which are in the framework of food, sex, family, money, honor, control, knowledge, we're always moving toward one of them at different times, and those pleasures always fade the moment we grasp them. And that is specifically given to us in order to show us that we can never be totally fulfilled by simply moving after the corporeal pleasures. And it's all in order to develop in us a desire Uh, a much bigger desire, which defines the desire for spirituality, which simply can't be fulfilled by corporeality, and it starts asking those existential questions that we mentioned, what is the meaning of life, etc. And through these desires awakening us more and more, and through all the, you could say, pains that awaken in our corporeal lives, from all those desires being unfulfilled in one way or another, so that urges us to, to seek spirituality more and more. And in our era specifically, uh, humanity en masse has started awakening to that point in the heart more and more. You know, We have lots of people awakening to it more directly, a lot of people still you know, in all kinds of searches indirectly feeling it. But ultimately all humanity will, will develop in their desires because at the root of our entire existence in this world, is the desire to receive pleasure and it's always growing and it's always growing in order to bring us to want the greatest pleasure the greatest enjoyment the greatest fulfillment the greatest happiness however you want to put it that exists in reality which is the fulfillment of attaining the original pleasure that extends from are uh, the, the source, the, the, the what's called the creator in the wisdom of Kabbalah. They also call it nature. The creator and nature are synonymous, as it's written in, in Gematria. creator and nature both have the same numerical value of 86. In short, there is, a, there is an upper force of love, bestowal, which from which all of our reality extends, which Kabbalists have attained a clear, uh, undistorted perception of that force in a very raw way. And there's a method to attain it, and the prerequisite to embark on that method to attain it is to feel that initial spark, that initial what's called the point in the heart, that desire for spirituality, that desire which is called Israel in, in these books. And then that's what brings us to the search, and then we can use the method, the wisdom of Kabbalah, and the means that the wisdom of Kabbalah provides in order to, as scientists, start undergoing experiments, receiving feedback from those experiments, and start growing this desire in a conscious manner to literally attain the purpose of our lives, to, to attain connection with that original source from which we all came from. So that's what it says here, that I shall bring you upon my land in order that the nations, nations, just like there's Israel and there's also the nations. The nations simply means the other desires. So we have Israel, which is the desire for spirituality, and we have the nations of the world. It's it's called the 70 nations of the world, which are considered our other desires. All those desires for food, sex, family, money, honor, control, knowledge, and various other variations of them. So that's called the nations, or the nations of the world. So it says that the nations recognize me, meaning that all desires will come under that governance of the creator in an un- in an, un, as I said, distorted way, in a way which w- where we feel the pleasure uh, of that connection to the Creator in a, in a direct manner. Upon my land, land as well, in the wisdom of Kabbalah, it's a word that connects with uh, desire. Land in Hebrew is Eretz, and the word for Hebrew for desire is Ratzon, Eretz, Ratzon. They have the same linguistic root because that's what it's talking about here, that every time you see the word land, it's talking about a specific desire upon my land, upon the land of the Creator, the desire for the Creator, that, that desire for spirituality that leads to attainment of the Creator, in order that the nations, all the desires, recognize me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. So that's just a little thing showing that you know the Creator is not here as some egoist wanting to you know, dictate over everyone and cause wars and mess just in order for everyone to to worship him or, or something like that. Rather, it's talking about that at the end of the day, our development will lead us to a point where uh, love will cover what's called love will cover all crimes. Love will cover all the desires, all the conflicts, all the all the hatred and division that emerges in reality. It's all bound to ultimately come to a point where uh, love will cover it all like an umbrella. And we will always be able to connect to that higher force of, of love and bestowal uh, above all the uh, innate egoistic urges that we feel in our our nature, in, in human nature. We'll already move on to another one here a bit. And it will come to pass on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my blazing indignation will flame in my nostrils. And I will reveal myself in my greatness and in my holiness, and will be recognized in the eyes of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So, you know, once again, that's that's pointing to the idea that, s- same idea here, that, you know, it's saying that the Creator is saying that I will reveal myself in my greatness, in my holiness, and will be recognized in the eyes of many nations. You know, again, we're not talking about the Creator being, you know, some all-powering, uh, like in, like how we picture human beings with their egos wanting to overpower and wand- wanting others to, to look up to them or anything like that. You know, If we look through our egoistic lenses, we might perceive such a thing in, in such a text, but rather it's that all desires are bound to come under the rule of a single desire, meaning that all desires are bound to come under the rule of uh, the desire for love, bestowal, and connection because it, it is the source that stands behind everything else before there are any desires to receive in our reality. There is the uh, one single desire that created all that, which created it all out of a pure desire for, which had no self-interest attached to it. Unlike every single one of our desires, which is built on self-interest, where I'm always thinking, what will I get out of it? And, you know, how will I uh, get pleasure in a certain situation, how will I maximally benefit with the minimum effort you know, for myself or maybe you know, if I expand it a bit, I can expand to my family, maybe some friends or my nation. But it's always going to be me and against someone else. There's some perception there of separation between me and other people, me and nature, me and billions of other objects and, and you know, rocks, animals, plants all around me. And I'm in this mode of wanting to receive pleasure from, from these sources all the time. Whereas the desire that created us, as it says, this desire called the creator, it's a desire that only has a single intention uh, to, to, to give pleasure to that which it created. And so it created this vessel, this desire to receive pleasure in order ultimately to fill it with pleasure. That's, that's the very basic uh, source of everything that's going on here. that this one force of giving, bestowal, created a desire to receive pleasure with the purpose of that desire, enjoying. The caveat here is that if we try to enjoy based on our corporeal egoistic urges, that enjoyment always fades away because it's it's enjoying in an opposite form to that original desire that created us. So the whole purpose here is that we learn how to enjoy in equivalence of form with that same desire that that created us. So instead of enjoying to please myself at the expense of others, which is our innate human nature, at the expense of others and nature, so uh, we learn through, as I said, through applying ourselves to this method and using the means at our disposal. It's not something that we can just simply click onto, but we, we learn how to enjoy uh, by Bestowing to others by fulfilling others, meaning we learn how to enjoy from the status of that same creator that created us. And when we learn to enjoy in such a way, it's called that we attain the purpose of our lives because we attain not only the pleasure of receiving the pleasure that the creator wants to give, but we also receive the pleasure of attaining that same status as the creator, the same status of the one who is a bestower, of a lover. And not one who is a, uh, a receiver, and, and one that, that simply takes for, for personal benefit at every single moment. So that's uh, the essence of these f- uh, couple of excerpts that we just read here. That it's all ultimately to bring us to a state where that, uh, where we attain that there is uh, what's called there is none else besides Him. It's another saying in the wisdom of Kabbalah that there's n- no other force in reality but this one single force of love, bestowal, and and we attain that above our egoistic uh, desires which emerge in us at every single moment. We'll go on a little bit more. Now we're just going to read a text from the Ari. You can consider this one special. This actually doesn't exist in English. We, have t- we had to actually get a special translation of this just for this show. So this is, it says, Gog and Magog. It's from uh, the Ari's Fruit of the Tree of Life, Priyats Chaim. Gog and Magog amounts to 70, corresponding to the 70 nations. Since then, Gog will reign over 70 nations, and they will all come upon Israel together. When they, when Israel, are redeemed from them, there will be a great salvation, because now that they have been redeemed from Madai and from Greece, they were exiled to Edom. Similarly, each day they are saved from the hands of one and fall into the hands of another. But on this day, they are saved from everyone. This is why it is the great salvation. So very simply, what what th- what can we take from this text from the Ari? It says Gog and Magog amounts to seventy. So these two, uh, the, the, these two, you could say, you wouldn't say, characters. Gog is the king. Magog is the place where he's from. These two, uh, these two words in 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 gematria, they amount to seventy. The, the letters of Gog and the letters of, of Magog so they're both meaning 70 which corresponds to the 70 nations as we said the 70 nations of the world they're the 70 uh, desires to receive represents all the desire to receive uh, that was created except for that desire called Israel the the point in the heart that has the ability to rise above it and they will all come upon Israel together yeah meaning that the desire for spirituality when it is moving, uh, toward rising above into spirituality and attaining connection with the source force of, of love and bestowal. So when that happens, it means that the, we, we attain a, a, a covering, an umbrella, over all of our egoistic desires. And that's what it means that all of our desires, all the seventy nations, will come unto Israel. It simply means that all the desires to receive that we have will be inverted with to have an intention to bestow and to love. Uh, to bestow contentment to the Creator, to there, w- there will be this force of connection between uh, all these desires that is specifically what that desire called Israel, the desire for spirituality, brings about when it succeeds in winning the war. So when they Israel are redeemed from them, there will be great salvation, because now that they have been redeemed from Medayan, from Greece, they were exiled to Adam, and then they're saved of hands, etc., etc. That's why it's called the Great Salvation. In short, when we attain the intention to bestow and to love upon our desires to receive, it's called attaining Great Salvation. So let's move on a little bit more. And it's also said that the first war of Gog and Magog is between Esav and Ishmael, two characters there. We'll see a little text here from Rabash uh, that talks about it. Man himself is a small world. As it is written in the Zohar, that man consists of all seventeen nations and contains the quality of Esav, the quality of Ishmael, as well as the quality of Israel. We'll learn what they are in a second. But here you can already see. It says, "Man himself is a small world." Rabash really tries to clarify it here. He's, he's, he's saying that all this—you know—the man consists of all seventeen nations and, and contains these qualities: Israel, Ishmael, Esav. He's talking. He's really bringing it to a to a spiritual approach where we see all these forces acting within us uh, and we aim to work with them by, by, by working on our what's called our correction. Correction meaning that we rise above uh, being involuntarily governed by our egoistic desires and enter into uh, a, a rule that we choose using our own free choice uh, where we uh, attain connection to uh, the spiritual forces of love and bestowal which act as an umbrella over all those desires. As we learn, uh, line number four here, the quality of Israel is in, ex- is in exile under the governance of the 17 nations of the world, which are generally called will to receive for oneself. As we said, the desire to receive for oneself, the desire to receive for personal benefit or will to receive for oneself, while Israel are called desire to bestow upon the creator. So again, it's really bringing it down to this level where we see all these forces as Desires acting within us, and, and how we need to work with them to uh, prioritize a certain desire over others in order to move forward spiritually. So, what are these qualities, Esav, Ishmael, Israel, that we say that we see here? Hang on a second. Here yeah, we'll go here. So, as you can see here, there's the work of attaining spirituality is called the work of three lines: the left line, the right line, and the middle line. So this, these desires, we have Esav here, uh, which represents the left line, Ishmael, which represents the right line. And what are these lines? Uh, in, in short, uh, the left line and the right line, these are two forces that come from above. That's why there's down arrows here. So these two forces are, are, are given to us to work with. Uh, the left line is recognition of evil it's called. It means that we recognize the evil in simply wishing to receive pleasure for personal benefit. But that recognition of evil doesn't come just by itself. We can't only have a recognition of evil in and of itself, meaning that uh, I cannot perceive that my ego within me is something evil if it's not against something else that comes to it. So that's where the right line comes in which in short it says here the greatness of the creator uh, the greatness of this quality the single force of love, bestowal, connection by raising the greatness of that quality we, we feel that greatness as a certain force that illuminates what does it mean to raise the greatness of that quality? if we're talking strictly about our spiritual progress raising the greatness of that quality is similar to what I discussed earlier about the approach to Kabbalah study that when we approach Kabbalistic texts with the intention to attain what they write to us about. So we're actually connecting to what's called the right line. We're, we're, we're connecting to wishing to see this single force of love, bestowal, and connection fill our reality. We're, we're raising the importance of that, of what the point in the heart considers important, over what all of our other desires consider as important. And by raising that importance we, a- and also using the means that connect us to the source, meaning using uh, such things as Kabbalistic texts, Kabbalistic lessons that give us access to those uh, spiritual forces. So then we illuminate the forces from those levels and then they, those forces influence us. How do they influence us? By awakening the left line, the recognition of evil. So we don't approach our egos and, and our and, and, and our desires directly, you know, at the same level that we were uh, that we were created in. You know, even there's a famous quote by Albert Einstein that you, you you don't solve a problem at the same level of the problem, but you have to rise to a higher level to solve the problem. So this this is what we're talking about. This is part of the method that we talk about in the wisdom of Kabbalah that we that we always apply ourselves to the right line as much as possible, raising the greatness of the Creator, raising the importance of spirituality, raising the importance of the spiritual goal of attaining that umbrella of love, bestow and connection over everything else and using the means to to raise that importance. Uh, The means we've talked about being the texts. uh, There's also the rav and the friends. These are considered the three means that we work with in awakening the right line uh, as we said, the, the texts, uh, the Kabbalistic texts that we that we talked about, and we mainly uh, refer to the texts of Kabbalist Judah Ashlag and Rabash uh, as those sources that we study. Also, you can say the, the books of the Ari and the book of Zohar, and, and, and really all the texts of the Kabbalists, but through the lens of Bala Sulaim, who really is the most renowned and greatest Kabbalist of our current generation, who, who took all the Kabbalistic writings and, and specifically made them accessible uh, to the level of desire that we're currently on in humanity. It made made them suit this ego that we all have, since we all have these overblown egos in our era, and we have such high demands for such proof and scientific empirical evidence of what we're studying. So Balasalam, he he adjusted the method of Kabbalah in order to be suitable for the ego of our era, the desires of our era. So, by by using these texts and the friends being a supportive environment, friends comes from the word for connection in Hebrew. Uh, Friend is chaver, connection is chibur. Again, it shares the same linguistic root there. Because uh, friends are those who also have points in the heart, who also yearn for the spiritual goal, and people who we can work with to apply the spiritual principles in practice. Uh, in a group setting, and if you advance in CABU, the the organization that's uh, running all this, so you'll advance to what what you'll find are called groups and what are called tens, people you can work with to, to, to apply these things that we're talking about in practice, to actually apply the method and to get the means that you need in order to attract those forces, those spiritual forces, and make spiritual progress. So that's what it means to work in the right line, that we raise that greatness of the Creator, fundamentally through working with these texts, with these friends, and also the guidance of a teacher. This is the third mean, if we're talking about the three means that we need. The teacher is the Kabbalist, the Rav, who has access to the spiritual worlds, who has spiritual attainment, and we can. Uh, and Rav, he he's the one that guides us on how to approach all the means and how to approach the texts, how to approach the supportive environment, how to approach the friends, uh, in order to maximally draw uh, those forces of the greatness of the creator from the right line. And when we when we draw those forces from the right line, as we said, we get the awakening of the left line. So we don't approach the ego directly, we don't try to suppress our desires, we don't do anything like this. Even though people might have some kind of idea that the ego or our desires to receive are something bad and and that we should uh, do something with them, which lots of people have this understanding in our world, uh, it's not uh, what we come from here. Rather, we work on raising the greatness of the Creator, raising that right line, and then when we feel uh, the awakening of special forces, Uh, that come from that that engagement, that come from working in the method and the means to to draw those forces. It's called drawing the surrounding light. You can also say it's called the drawing of the reforming light. As we said, the whole purpose of the study and everything we do in the Wisdom of Kabbalah is to draw that surrounding light. Uh, It means that we draw the force from a higher spiritual level to us, which illuminates to us, to our desires and to within us, and when that force illuminates, meaning when we draw a force that is of a higher level of bestowal than where we currently are, so we get that recognition of evil. But we don't, f- it's, it's not a bad state, it's actually a great state. Ba'ala Salaam writes about such a state that is happy for the wicked that are revealed to him. It's like we get a medicine and then we're able to diagnose the proper cause of literally every one of our problems with this medicine. And we're happy for the fact that it's it's like a disease that becomes revealed, and now we can treat the disease. Uh, that's how we work with the revelation of evil, the recognition of evil with a left line, meaning that the left line always comes under the right line, and that correct combination between them is expressed in what's called the mi- middle line here. Israel uh, is the connection between the right line and left line. And that has the up arrow there because the middle line really comes about as this one action that we can really do in this world, which the, Kabbalah, uh, which the wisdom of Kabbalah calls prayer. Prayer is the outcome of working in that right line to draw the spiritual forces to our lives with that consequence of having that evil of our egoism revealed as a consequence of drawing those forces. And when that delta between these two opposite forces that we can feel within ourselves reaches a certain threshold, meaning when we've drawn so much surrounding light and revealed so much of our egoistic desire as being opposite to where we want to be, that we want to be uh, in these relations of love, bestowal and connection to, to each other, and we want to have that perception of the single force of the Creator to attain the purpose of our lives and not simply be enslaved to the ego and, and uh, you know in this mess of problems that the ego leads us to all the time. But we want to attain a spiritual level. So when we reach that... That's called that the middle line, Israel, makes that connection. And that connection is made through the action called prayer. Prayer means a specific request uh, to cover uh, all, you could say, all ego, all evil, all the negative qualities that reveal in us with the Creator's quality, with love as we see here, to to raise internality of externality. But you can see that uh, a prayer that comes from a certain pain or a need that leads to a request, everyone can relate to prayer in such a way. But these are already some pointers of things that can be added to prayer, and especially in these times as well. Like, for example, now that there's this uh, war happening, uh, in, in the world, so uh, lots of people as well. In general, just find themselves in prayer, you know, prayer for the benefit of the people, that there will be peace, etc., etc. So you can see, even even in such a basic way, uh, there's a certain pain and a need, and it leads to a certain request. The what makes a prayer spiritual is these three yellow pointers here. That uh, prayer includes, if, if we're aiming to acquire the force of the Creator and the status of the Creator, so we need to look at all the peace and benefit of all humanity in the prayer. That's always very important, that the prayer is not just for my benefit, my family's benefit, my nation's benefit, or the nation that I support, not just for their benefit, but I want peace to, and benefit to, to reach all of humanity. That's a significant component. If we don't have that in place, then we cannot uh, consider our prayer to be a, a spiritual one. There's another thing here that we need to remember, that there's a single force that can respond to this prayer. As we said, there is none else besides him. That has to be something that we keep in mind, that th- this force uh, really uh, actually connects to the third thing I wanted to say here, that there's a force that brings us pain, uh, brings us pain, brings us deficiencies, to develop the need for its help, uh, which is called to bless the good as well as the bad. So there's w- we have to remember, we have to keep in mind, if we're praying as a spiritual action, which as it's not as simple as simply activating it right now, but if we even try to apply these things to any kind of prayers that, that we do uh, and even if a person has no approach to prayer it doesn't really matter. Prayer at the uh, end of the day is a request that emerges from a pain or a need as we said. You know, any any anything that I want in this world is, is some kind of a what, what's called a prayer because uh, there's this need for something and there's a request to, to get it. So adding some components to this uh, ends up making it a, a spiritual prayer and, and the more Uh, We work on that, the more that that uh, prayer becomes one that is that which describes the quality of Israel, the middle line, something that doesn't take any sides in any conflict but rather aims at the connection between the sides, the proper level of peace. Peace as well in Hebrew comes from the word, uh, peace is shalom, it comes from the word for completion or complementarity, shlemut. Shlemut, meaning that the completion the the connection between opposites that that is the state of peace and that that is the the quality that that uh, Israel uh, this this spiritual action that Israel does that, that's what it can bring up, bring upon it yeah going to one last excerpt here and then we're going to watch a very special new Uh, video we'll just say a few words about this one for now this is actually from the Zohar from Beshalach when Pharaoh sent so here it says the Creator is destined to revive all those kings that have afflicted Israel and Jerusalem Hadrian, Lupinus, Nebuchadnezzar, Senachrib and all the other kings in the world who have destroyed his house So, this is uh, also talking about the war of Gog and Magog, and and that the Creator is reviving all kinds of kings that had uh, existed prior to that in that specific war. He will give them dominion as in the beginning, and the rest of the nations will gather with them, and they will wage war on Jerusalem. And the Creator will avenge them openly around Jerusalem, as it is written, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. It does not say who will go, but who have gone, in past tense, since it concerns Nebuchadnezzar, etc., who have already gone. Then it is written, And in your great excellence you overthrow those who rise against you. And this is written for the time when the Messiah comes. So, just another aspect we can take here with us into understanding this war of Gog and Magog as an internal war, that all these kings that had once had dominion the creator reawakens them at the end of the days and in in the in this last war what does it mean it simply means that all these ideologies everything that we had once held on to uh, as some kind of belief some kind of faith I- in this world so all that come becomes reawakened at the time of Gog and Magog and all that, all that revival of, of everything that we had gone through, uh, once again, that is all needed in order to reveal that full extent of what's called evil, meaning the, the ego, which is trying to make its way in the world, in order to ultimately bring, it, uh, bring upon it this, this covering of love. Okay, gonna go now just to watch a quick short clip. By the way, this is the first time you're going to be watching this video. It's from a series that's going to be coming out uh, soon on Kabu, uh, another course that's going to be coming out on Kabu soon called Journey to the Land of Israel. And this specific segment is one specifically made for the War of Gog and Magog, uh, also called the War of Armageddon, because uh, as it was taken in Christian tradition, uh, Armageddon comes from Har Megiddo, uh, Mount Megiddo. Uh, where where it says that that's where the war would take place. So let's just go into watching this, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's six minutes long, and we'll say a few words when we come back. And also, just remember that after this session, I know you've been asking all kinds of questions, that we've had a f- kind of full content here, so we haven't gotten around to it, but we will have a full hour uh, to do Q&A right after this on Zoom uh, in Cabu. So if you, If you want to get your questions answered, just come to the Zoom afterwards that we're having in Cabu. sign up at cabuconnect.com if you haven't already, and just follow the the live link there, and I'll see you right after this as well. But right now, let's go into this.
1: The War of Gog and Magog. It's been written that the War of Gog and Magog will take place at the end of times the era of the Messiah. However, this war is already underway. It's taking place inside every one of us. The book of Ezekiel states that Gog, from the land of Magog, will come to the land of Israel, and that he will lead a massive army that's composed of several nations. Also it writes that he will be defeated by none else but the Creator himself. In Christian tradition, this final battle is called the War of Armageddon. Armageddon comes from the Hebrew word Har Megiddo, which means Mount Megiddo. Mount Megiddo is the real geographic location near Jezreel Valley. Take a look at it. Here, the arena of several historical battles that have taken place over the last 3,000 years. There have been so many different armies here with their troops. Gog from the land of Magog will also come here for the final battle. And according to prophecy, this will be the last war ever. But is this war going to happen in the future? No, this war is actually happening right now. We can see it with our very own eyes. If we take a look at the world, we'll see how it's saturated with hatred. Humanity's entire history, especially in the last hundred years, is rife with suffering, grief and misfortune. Revolutions, terrible wars and natural disasters have hit us all throughout our history and they have brought us to what we see in the world today. An invisible wave is rising before our eyes. No one can stop it. Egoism constantly pressures us and leads us to the final battle. This is the force of evil. Gag from the land of Magog. This is the human ego that wants to enslave the entire world. And against it stands the aspiration for unity, love, and an attitude of good toward each other. The point within us that strives for unity and wholeness. This point still glimmers within each and every person in the world. How then will the age-old struggle between good and evil end? It will end in the last invasion. By all indications, this war is already here. The first sign of this war that emerged in antiquity is the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. What this means is that when we fail to grow internally, we descend to the animal level. We then have no room for compassion or regret, but only for cruelty and hypocrisy. We then have an evil dog's face instead of a thoughtful and compassionate human face. Half of humanity is hungry, homeless, and dying in wars and conflicts, while the other half is indulging in access and rotting from within. And both halves feel the same, that there is no future. The second sign for the final battle is every man for himself. And it's happening exactly when the world is becoming one closed system, that all of its parts are interdependent and have to be interconnected. But it's torn up by irresolvable disputes, and no one can understand the real reason for the hatred. The third sign relates to the Jewish people. The Jewish people have gathered in the land, as was predicted. Why did the Jews get such a name? Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word Ivri, which means a person who made the transition from selfish love to loving others. Jew, Yehudi in Hebrew, comes from the word Yehudi, which means united. And Israel comes from the two Hebrew words, Yeshar El, which means straight to God. It refers to an inclination to aim ourselves at our next degree, where we are all perfectly connected, like one big happy family. Israel, however, is but a tiny speck among this enormous ego. We can see how the people of Israel, destined for a spiritual breakthrough, have forgotten about their destiny. We just want to live like everyone else. But we're disputed among ourselves, divided into camps, different opinions, denominations, immersed up to our necks in mutual hatred. And this is why there's a storm coming our way. The main prophecy relates to Israel, to become as one, and to help the world to do the same. This is why the last battle is due, Gog and Magog, Armageddon. This war is meant to make the Israel within us rise above the ego. This is what the final battle will be, it's up to us. We shouldn't wait, we should be the first to wage war against egoism. The prophecy writes about this, that the Creator will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem, meaning that the highest altruistic force of nature will triumph in us and reign over the whole world in Jerusalem. This doesn't mean the stony city of Jerusalem that we know on the map, but another Jerusalem, the Jerusalem of the heart. Jerusalem, Yerushalayim in Hebrew, comes from the Hebrew word complete or perfect, Shalem. It refers to the common heart of the nations that unite and rise above the ego. It is there that we will discover the great quality of love and bestow, which is what the Creator really is.
0: As I said, that's from the course Journey to the Land of Israel that's going to be coming up soon on KABU. So again, sign up at KABU connect if you want to get access to great, high production value courses such as that one and many others there, as well as a, you could say more importantly, as well as a full guided study process through the method of Kabbalah from introductory to intermediate through to advanced, uh, where you can then also join uh, such things as Kabbalistic groups. and. And and really start working uh, with the method and means to attain spirituality as we've been talking about in this session and also will you have access to uh, such events as what we're about to embark on now a live Q&A session uh, which will go for a full hour uh, where you can ask any questions you want either about this I've already seen some questions you've been asking just to quickly relate to a a common theme I'm seeing people are relating what's happening now to uh, for example the Uh, War in Russia and Ukraine and you know whether you know not doing some certain certain actions or how is the how is How are such wars you know terrible things in our world world connected to what we're studying now internally? Uh, Just to put it very shortly the This war that we can conduct uh, to raise the importance of internality over externality uh, in those people who have been granted a certain level of desire for spirituality to conduct that war uh, so by by you know f- by fighting to raise the importance of internality over externality, the you know by what's called love, co- love will cover all crimes. By 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 working on that, so we literally raise, as it says, we we bring that rule of love to all the other desires. We uh, without even feeling it, you could say the ninety nine percent of humanity who still hasn't got an active point in the heart hasn't still hasn't got an active desire to, to move forward in such a way. Will receive peace and complementarity, will receive some kind of shift in consciousness that will give them the ability to rise above hatred and connect in a manner of love and bestowal. And so, Kabbalists do say that if certain it is all upon what's called the people of Israel, all upon those who have that desire for spirituality, uh, that they do indeed have a certain responsibility, meaning that if I am able. Know, if I've been given such questions as you know, asking about the meaning of life and you know what's the meaning of suffering, and I've been brought to a place, you know the method and the means to attain it, and I start applying myself to that, and I get the knowledge and the wisdom to make steps forward. And if I am uh, not engaging in that, if I choose to uh, raise the importance of externality over internality, meaning my desire is to receive pleasure for myself and, and not engage in that inner war, that is actually much more of a cause for the outbursts of all kinds of hatred and divisions in society and in the world at large than, uh, than other things that we see. Really, that is a very significant cause, that there's, no there's, there's been a miss of an effort to add in, in the basis of human consciousness the ability to rise above hatred. So therefore, the ego simply grows without any, uh, res- without any uh, regulator. There's no regulator upon the e- ego to be able to uh, regulate it. However, together with that, with all these events that are taking place in humanity today, uh, we've only got a minute left, so I can't really get too deep into it, but with all these events, we can, we can really apply uh, everything that we feel today, all these kinds of feelings that, that emerges within us through such events. For example, uh, you can take such a thing as the fear that we feel during a war, and all these things that have their, have their spiritual counterpart so uh, we we feel fear at this egoistic level on a corporeal ego in a corporeal egoistic way that it's fear for my own survival survival of myself my family my nation or the nation that i support etc Uh, We can use these things to to invert them to a spiritual level. What's fear, for example, on a spiritual level? It's fear that I'm not giving enough, not bestowing enough, not using enough of the ability I have to apply love above all these negative things uh, and, and, and add that to the system. So when we use fear in, in this spiritual way, for instance, that already starts engaging us in that correct direction. And uh, by using the means and the methods to a- attain those forces from above and draw those, uh, that surrounding light and, and act in a way uh, toward, toward others and toward nature and toward the creator as such. So we invite those forces, not just in myself personally, as if I'm egoistically trying to attain spirituality, Rather, it's a uh, conduit for those forces to spread to the world. And that's what it means that Israel would be as a light to the nations. So, you know, there's a lot to expand on it. We're going to probably keep expanding on it right now in this next Q&A. So come along to that. Again, you Connect, follow the link in the description. And it's been great being with you once again. And look forward to seeing you a lot more times. This has been Kabbalah Explained Simply. I'm Marcus. See you later.